Uh, tonight we're going to start uh, a study, I'm just calling it the life of Joseph, um, integrity in adversity. Right? If you look at the life of Joseph, he had it bad. I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was pretty good up until he was about 17, 18 years old, and then life got rough, and it stayed rough, and then it looked like things were getting better, and it got bad again. And so the awesome thing about Joseph's life is that we can look at him, and, and through all of the adversity that he suffered, he always had the highest level of integrity. Right? He, he's one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ that we can see in the Old Testament. We look at his life, and there's all kinds of parallels to, to New Testament revelation that we see. It's just an awesome, awesome story. And so tonight, we're going to get into that. Um, the first one, the title for tonight is, is The Making of a Man. Right? That's at the top of your page there. And, and there's often an argument about what it is that makes a person turn out to be the way the person turns out to be. Right? We're all adults now, and, and you're pretty much who you're going to be, right? You, you still have plenty of decisions to make, but you kind of see the world the way you see it. You kind of understand things the way you understand them. And, and from this point on, a lot of times, you're kind of already set in your ways. It doesn't have to stay that way, but, but that, that's often the way it is. By the time you're an adult and you start making your own decisions, you are who you are. Um, <clears throat> so there's a big argument. It, it's, you know, as old as time itself probably. You know, what is it that makes people who they are? Is it, is it nurture or is it nature? Are you, are you mostly influenced by the people you're around as you grow up and that's what makes you to be who you are? Or is it just, that's just who you were going to be, right? I can look at my own kids. They're, they're three very different personalities and they've always been that way. But you can't deny the, the external influences that have impacted them, Right? And so if, if we would leave them to themselves, certainly those you know, specific traits that they have and personalities would still be there, but the decisions they make and, and the value that they place on God and the relationships and all of those things, those things would all be totally different. And so both is the answer, right? Both of those things weigh very heavily on who you are and, and how you turn out. And so the character you know, we're studying is Joseph. He was the 11th out of 12 sons. He suffered a ton of turmoil, and he grew to be a man of great integrity and, and high honor, right? Most of his brothers were men of low character, right? They were, they were kind of like their dad, as we're going to see tonight. And uh, so, so how does one brother turn out righteous? How does one, or the rest of them, most of them, turn out, you know, stained and, and tainted sinners, and, and most of the time, self-serving. Uh, to find this answer, or the answer to this question, I believe we, got, we need to consider the environment that Joseph grew up in, right? Um, it's a really interesting perspective that I've never really looked at before was, you know, you look at the life of Jacob. Jacob was Joseph's father, had 12 sons. Jacob was a different man before Joseph was born. And just about the time of the birth of Joseph, things started changing in Jacob's life, and we're going to see that tonight. So as we get started, we're going to go ahead and turn to Genesis 37. This is the very beginning of Joseph's story in the lineage of, of Jacob. <coughs> so Genesis 37, and the first thing we're going to see on your sheet is that Joseph was the favorite son. He was the favorite son. Genesis 
All right, so go ahead and, if you're in Genesis 37, uh, it should be on the screen as well. We're going to read the first six verses. And it starts in verse 1. It says, Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, that's Rachel's concubine, and with the sons of Zilpah, Leah's concubine. Right? So each of those two ladies had two sons each. Uh, the, the background story to all of that is, so Jacob goes and he, he wants to marry Rachel, and, and her dad tricks him somehow. There's, there's a weird event that goes on. Somehow he marries the wrong one. I don't know how that happens. Had to have been alcohol. I don't know how else. It's just, I'm just saying. So the dad tricks him. He, he accidentally marries Leah. And then, you know, he has to work another seven years to be able to re- marry Rachel. He marries both of these ladies. Leah can have children. Rachel can't have children. Leah starts having babies. I think he has the first four with Leah. Rachel's jealous, so she says, here's my concubine. You can marry her as well. So now he's got wife number three, and he has two children with her. Leah gets jealous, says, here's my concubine. He has two with her, and then he has a couple more with Leah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then finally has the last two with Rachel, the love of his, his life. And so it's a crazy story. There's all kinds of turmoil. This is, this is the life of Jacob, right? And this is, this is some of the crazy stuff that goes on. So back into the text, he's, he's with the sons of Bilhah, or however you say that. It's a, attractive names. Bilhah and Zilpah, probably really pretty ladies. I, would, I don't know. His, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father, father their evil report. So these guys were, were not good guys. They were misbehaving in, in some fashion. And so Joseph is, is bringing this evil report to his father. In verse 3 it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And that many colors, you know, some people say it's actual colors, some people say it's many materials, it's like a patchwork thing. Whichever that thing actually was, the, the point was, this was the only of his 11 sons at this point that had a special coat. Right? He, had, he had set his son apart and made it obvious that Joseph was the special one. Okay? So any of you with siblings, no, that's, that's, you're asking for trouble, right? Every, everybody feels like one of your siblings, if you have a bunch of siblings, is the favorite. Josh, was probably, you're probably the favorite son, weren't you? He's like, well, I might as well be. Why not? <laughs> I knew that was coming. So Joseph, after this, Uh, Verse 4, And the brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, and they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. All right, so Joseph's, you know, he's kind of reporting to his dad their misbehavior, so they probably don't like him for that. They see that dad loves him more. They don't like him for that. In verse 5, Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. We were, they were binding up wheat. And lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. They bowed down. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and 
for his words. So, man, they got this close relationship going on, Joe and his brothers, right? They're, they're, they're just close-knit. All right, so if you look back at verse 3, the next blank here, verse 3 says that now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and made him a coat of many colors. Uh, the, the, the phrase on your sheet is Joseph was hated for his father's love. All right, and we're going to start seeing some of the cool parallels here to Christ. He was hated simply because his father loved him more. Now, from Joseph's perspective, what did he do wrong? Nothing. He didn't do anything wrong. Dad loved him, right? But because his dad loved him, because his father's relationship and, and how close they were, his brethren hated his guts. There's somebody else just like that, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ was just like that. John chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my, my father's hands. Verse 30, check this out. I and my father are one. And the Jews' response to this statement, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. It was because he claimed divinity, because he was close to the father, because he had a relationship like nobody else with the father, that his brethren, the Jews, wanted to kill him. Sounds familiar, right? Verse 5, looking at that again, it says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. So Joseph was hated for his dreams. He was hated for his father's love. He was hated for his dreams. How many of you have control over what you dream? Have you ever had one of those cool dreams, like you're flying or something, or you're rich or something, I don't know, and you're like, you wake up, the, the alarm goes off, and you're not done with the dream, you, you pause the alarm real quick, and you're like, oh, if, if I fall asleep, I'll know how this ends. If I, if I fall back to sleep, I'll be able to get, it doesn't work, does it? You can't force, you can't choose what you dream. How many of you have ever had a, a, a dream where you're ashamed of what you dreamed, and you woke up just, Lord, I'm so sorry, that, that should not be in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want that in there, right? And, and Lord, I know that I didn't do that on purpose. Something's in me that's, that's a sinful nature, and you're not, you ask for forgiveness. We don't have control over that, but his brethren hated him because he had a dream. Not a, not a Martin Luther, the king dream. He had a dream, right? And he shared that with them. So they hated him for his dreams. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, and all things are delivered unto me of my father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal. And so there's this relationship. Who reveals who to who, I don't know, but, but God's in, in control of, of revealing things even to his own Son. There are passages in Scripture that, that tell us there's things that Christ willingly was ignorant of. You explain how that works. When he and the Father are one, there were some things he gave up for us. And some of that was knowledge. Some of that was his stature and his power for a time. Right? He, he sacrificed those things, and, and God the Father was the one delivering the message to him. Where did Joseph's message, where did his dream come from? It was a vision from God, wasn't it? Right? We, we learned that a little bit later, but at this point it just looks like a dream. What are his brothers actually hacked off about? Probably the content of the message and understanding that this is a message of judgment from God, not just my little brother's bragging about his dream. 
And then if we look in verse 8 again, it says that uh, they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. All right, and that's your next blank. There's nothing to imply that Joseph was boastful. I've heard so many, I've read so many commentaries that say that Joseph was just being arrogant little punk. He was rubbing it in his brother's faces. There's, there's no actual evidence that that was his approach. Right? Joseph is, is a beautiful, complete picture of Christ, and Christ just shared the facts and was reviled for that. He was hated because he was honest. He was hated because he delivered God's message. John chapter 7, verse 7 says, The world cannot hate you, but it hateth, it hateth me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. What did Joseph just finish doing? Telling Dad, the works of my brothers are evil. Right? He's testifying of their works that they're evil. John 15, 18, and 19 says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Right? So there's, there's another awesome connection and picture with Christ, right? So they hated him for his father's love. They hated him for his dreams. They hated him for the words that he shared, just like Christ. Uh, the second thing that we need to see, or that we're going to see, is, you know, what some, of the, some of the contributing factors, factors to who Joseph became. So he's the favorite son. How did he become the favorite son? Well, well part of that was because of when he was born. He couldn't control that either, right? And, and who he was born to, couldn't control that. But before Joseph ever came along, there's a ton of information, and, and we're just going to have to summarize some of these chapters as I go. So this will be story time with Matt here for a little bit. Um, but, but he had major family baggage. And that's your next blank there. Joseph had some of the most messed up family, and most of it was his dad and the things that he did. And his family history shaped, you know, who, who his brothers were for sure, because they acted just like their dad. But before Joseph was ever born, before his birth, Genesis chapter 25, this was the birth of, of Joseph's father, Jacob. Jacob was a twin, and his brother came out first. It says his brother came out, he was all hairy and red. And as he came out, it says that, that Joseph's hand, or Jacob's hand, I'm going to say that like five times, probably the wrong name. Jacob's hand was on Esau's heel. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, they're twins, they're connected, man. How cool is that, you know? But then they name him Jacob, and the name actually means supplanter or deceiver. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Mom. What a, you know, I'm going to go places with that name, right? And, and there, there's some interesting things that you can see, you know, in the names that are in Scripture. You know, and it's an incredible thing what a name can be. So then we go to Genesis chapter 26. The supplanter, the deceiver, cons his brother out of his birthright. Right? His brother's starving. He comes in from the field. He says, I'll feed you, but, you know, you got, you got to give me your birthright. And his brother was... It sounded a little overdramatic, but, but somehow he went for it, right? And so Jacob figures a way to con his brother out of, out of what is rightfully his. Then, in Genesis 27, 
Jacob cons his own father into giving him Esau's blessing. And so if you know anything about the culture of that time, the, the firstborn, the oldest son, everything goes to him. The other, the other ones are going to get taken care of too because you know, these guys are well off. They're, they're, they're just fine. But, but the majority of the household, the inheritance goes to the oldest son. And so Jacob finds a way to con his own dad into getting the blessing ahead of his brother. And, and, and if, you've not, if you're not familiar with these stories, you, d- you definitely got to check it out. There's a ton of, ton of information in there. It's, it's really cool to read. We just don't have time tonight. So. so the supplanter, the deceiver, is a con man, right? Somehow, mom and dad knew. I don't, I don't know how they knew. They named him appropriately. Maybe they, maybe they just had an idea that you know, things weren't quite right with that little guy holding on to his brother's heel. Genesis 28 and 29, Jacob is told to flee to Haran. He, he falls in love there, and he gets a dose of his own medicine. His father-in-law is an absolute master con man, right? He's, he's actually fleeing for his life. His mom says, you know, I, I, somebody overheard your brother saying he's he going to kill you, right? <laughs> You're a dead man walking. Esau is going to kill you because you stole his birthright. You stole his, his blessing, you know, this has probably been the pattern of your life, and that was the last straw. Well, that was all the straws. You took them all, man, and, and I'm going to kill you for it. And so he flees. He goes to live with some extended family far away. He falls in love, and that was the story that I was talking about before. He, he falls in love with Rachel. Uh, Laban is her dad, and he says, if you work, with, or work for me seven years, I'll give her to you. He does the old switcheroo, gives Leah and said... And, and Jacob's like, what would you do? Work seven more years, and, and I'll give you this daughter. And with each daughter, that, you know, the concubines went along with. And so at the end of the, the thing, Joseph has, fi- or Jacob, see, I told you I was going to say that. Jacob has finally had enough. They just have Joseph, and, and he's ready to leave. And, and he makes this statement, you, you have basically conned me. You have changed my wages ten times. I'm I'm guessing he didn't give him a raise 10 times, right? It was probably, you know, he's just, a, he's just an absolute con man. He's a liar. He's a thief. And I think it was perfect for Jacob to have to live underneath of that with the kind of person that he was beforehand. Because I think God was giving him a dose of his own medicine so that he could understand what it's like to be taken advantage of, what it's like to live that way. So that's, that's Jacob beforehand. That's Jacob as he's having all the other brothers. And Joseph, we see, is born in Genesis chapter 30. So after his birth, we see this verse, this should be on the screen, Genesis 30, verses 23 and 24. Rachel was, was barren. You know, this whole time, there are 10 children born, and Rachel hasn't had one, right? And, and again, the culture of that time, it really means something to be able to have a male child that's going to take the inheritance and take the name forward and, and all of those things. And she's, she's not provided any of that. She's not provided even a daughter. She can't have a child. And so at this point it says, And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And so this is a really cool thing. This, this phrase, God hath taken away, 
is it, the, the Hebrew word, this, this is not all that important, it's just kind of cool. The Hebrew word for taken away is, is Asaph. And the Hebrew word for add unto is Yosef, Joseph, right? He's taken away the reproach, and now he's going to add to my life, right? He's taken away the evil, he's taken away the curse or whatever, and he's going to add to my life. That's, that's Joseph's name. God adds. What a cool name that is, right? That's a whole lot better than dad's name. <laughs> the supplanter. That's, that has to do with plants and stuff. No. You're a con man, right? So the Lord, Lord has removed my reproach and the Lord has added to my life. What an awesome blessing that is. So then Genesis 31, 32. God tells Jacob it's time to go back home. Right? Remember, he ran from his brother. He was scared. Um, at, at that time, if God was telling him to do anything, he probably wasn't really listening. He was just running for his life. So the breakdown of, of Genesis 31 and 32 is pretty cool. Jo- or Jacob knows. He knows that there is a confrontation going to happen because Esau's still back home with dad. Right? If I go back home, Esau's there. There's a chance he still wants to kill me. There's a chance he's still hacked about all of the stuff I conned him out of. And we get to verse 6, and he sees Esau coming with 400 men. What do you think Jacob's thinking? Oh, this is going to be a bad day. This is going to be a real bad day, right? Verse 7, Jacob is preparing for the worst. He's dividing his, his family, his company, into two groups. If one of them gets slaughtered, at least the other one might get away. And he's preparing for the absolute worst. In verse 9, so he prepares for the worst. Verse 9, he, he prays for help. Jacob turns to God. Instead of trying to con his way out of this thing, he says, God, I, I remember you made a promise to my father. I remember you made a promise to me to multiply me. If, if we get slaughtered today, that's not happening. So I, I, need you to, I need you to come through, right? That's my paraphrase. It's worded a whole lot cooler in, in the actual scripture. So he, he prepares for the worst, he prays for help, and then by verse 13, he, he has put together a peace offering, right? He's, he's turned so far from the old person that he was, instead of trying to con his way out of what he did and the responsibility thereof, he's actually genuinely remorseful and humble. You know, if somebody's actually sorry, you can look at, uh, I think it's, is it 2 Corinthians 7? You can look at genuine, godly sorrow. There's a turning away from the sin, and there's also a desire to make it right. Jacob sets up wave after wave after wave of gifts. All of the inheritance that he had stolen and, and grew to a massive capacity, he was rich. He was willing to give it all back to his brother to try and make it right. You know? When you turn from your sin, do you just turn from it? If you can make it right, can you make it right? Do it, if you can. Right? We've, we've seen him scared when he was running from his problems. He's scared here, but he's running, he's running towards the problems. It's completely different Jacob, isn't it? Right? He's facing the problems because God said, that's where I want you to go. And then verse 24 and uh, 32, this is a, this is a crazy passage. Uh, I think this, is, this will be on the screen. Jacob actually, this is, this is one 
That's just a, it's a total mystery. Jacob actually physically wrestles with God. I don't, I don't know what to do with this one. It, it is incredible. Let's go ahead and read it together here. Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled him. All right, so we'll get to it in a second, but he's wrestling with God here. God clearly is just, he seems to be just playing, because if he can just touch him and, and, he, and his leg goes out of joint, <laughs> I mean, God's just messing with him somehow. But Jacob endures all night long. He wrestles with God. His thigh is out of joint, and he wrestled him. Verse 26, and he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is that? Is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob recognized he just got away with it. Somehow. Right? Verse 31, And he's, as he passed over Peniel, the sun arose, or sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. He's limping now. Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank upon the hollow of the thigh. And it talks about some customs that, that, that they took away from that actual event. So here's, here's the picture for you. We don't know how old Joseph is at this point. Let's assume he's old enough to recognize that dad was normal last night. This morning, dad walks with a limp. This morning, dad carries himself like royalty. Something's different about dad, right? God changes his name from Jacob the deceiver to Israel, a prince of God. That's pretty impressive. That's a, that's a much, much better name to live up to, isn't it? Assuming that Joseph is old enough to catch that, dad is not the same dad anymore, is he? Dad had a confrontation with God. And no matter where you've come from, no matter the mistakes you've made, the sins you've committed, you wrestle with God and you hold on tight with everything you've got to God, you're going to come away different. You're going to come away walking different. Those around you are going to notice that you're now the son or a daughter of the king. You're now royalty. You've got a new name. You've got a new identity. And you've got a new walk because you hung on dear to God, right? The only one that can save us, to Christ. Genesis 33, verse 8. Jacob meets with his brother Esau. And it says, Esau's like, what's, what's, up, what's with all of these droves of gifts, he says, what meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. It's lowercase l. He's not talking about God. He's talking about his brother. There's no longer a desire to deceive. There's no longer a desire to take advantage. 
he approaches his brother with gifts and service and humility. Genesis 34 switches gears and we see the, the sister of Simeon and Levi is, is raped by an individual. And this guy says that he loves her and he wants to marry her and so they go to Jacob and try and work out this deal. And Simeon and Levi, Simeon and Levi turn the whole thing into a con. Right? They say, yeah, absolutely, you know, you can marry our sister. All you got to do is make sure that your whole city, everybody in your city, all the men, get circumcised. And, and we'll marry your daughters, and you can marry our daughters, and we'll be one big, one big happy family. And so these guys are like, well, that's awesome. These guys are rich. Let's do it. So they do the circumcision. They're all sore and achy, and those two brothers go in and slaughter the entire city just like dad would have done back in the day, right? And Jacob's response is, he's disappointed, he's upset. He says, you've made our family, basically, to stink to everybody that looks at us, right? Jacob's previous response would have probably been, he probably would have been involved in the con, right? We don't know. This is a different Jacob. His response to his brother's acting, or his, his son's acting like he would have acted before, I think that would have been something else that stood out to Joseph. Genesis 35, God sends Jacob to Bethel. All right, and, and earlier, we skipped it, but, but there's a point in, in Jacob's life where he's fleeing, and he sees this, this vision of a ladder, angels going up and down on this ladder, and it's not time for him to, to live there right now at that point. Right, God, God knows Jacob's not ready. J- Jacob's still selfish. He's running for his life. He's only about himself. Now he's had this encounter with God. He's, he's obeying God. He's humble. He's, he's turned everything around. God says, now it's time to go to that place where you set up that altar where Jacob called it you know, the gate to heaven. There's this place where angels are going up and down to heaven. I don't know what's going on there, but God sends him there. Verse 2, Jacob charges his family before they go, it's time to get rid of the idols. Right? Jacob wasn't necessarily leading his household if they're all accumulating idols. Rachel actually stole idols from her father when they left. So mom's a con man too. Right? Mom's a thief. So this, this is the lineage that, that there's the background to Joseph's family. But Jacob is serious about this thing now. And he's following the Lord, and he knows if we're going to go to that place where we can be in constant communication with God, we've got to get rid of the garbage in our life. We've got to get rid of the sin. We've got to get rid of these idols. We can't put anything before God. Not me, not you, not anybody in the family. Right? Jacob's leading now, like he's never done before. He builds an altar in verse 7 to the Lord. It's a place of worship, a place of recognition of the one true God. Verses 9 through 15, he meets God again. God reassures him of the promises, reassures him of his inheritance, and he repeats his new name, Israel, the Prince of God. Verses 18 and 19, Rachel dies giving birth to Joseph's little brother. She, in, on her deathbed, as she's giving birth, she gives him this name. There's, there's power in names, right? 
she names him Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. But since Jacob's now leading the family again, leading as he should, he changes his name to Benjamin, the son of the right hand. And if you know anything about the right hand in Scripture, the right hand is, is a place of blessing. The right hand is a place of power. It's a place of protection. It's a place of inheritance, right? She's going to name this poor boy the son of my sorrow, and he's going to live with that name his whole life. Jacob says, no. This is the son of my right hand. He's going to be blessed. He's going to be protected. He's going to, he's going to be strong. Jacob was a different man after Joseph's birth. And he was certainly a different man after he wrestled with God. Verses 28 and 29, Jacob and Esau bury their father Isaac, Joseph's grandfather. So right before we see Joseph as a teenager, it's death after death after death that he's experienced in his life. There was another you know, servant woman that was part of the family that died in that same chapter. His mom died. His, his grandfather died. Right? And so he's, he's witnessing his father reacting to all of these things differently than his older siblings would have seen dad react to life before that. All right, so point three. We've seen, <clears throat> we've seen the, the favorite son. We've seen the family baggage. And this one is that Joseph is, or God is not just his father's God. Right, you see that, past, that, that phrase in scripture all the time, the God of my fathers, the God of my fathers. You know, God made this promise to my forefathers. Well, God was not just Jacob's God to Joseph. He was also Joseph's God. Right, he had a personal relationship, and, and we see that. Deuteronomy 26 says that, in verses 16 through 19, it says, this Day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do, to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt keep, therefore, or therefore keep, and do them with all thine heart, with all thy soul. Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God, and to walk in his ways, and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments, and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord hath avouched to thee this day to be his peculiar people, excuse me, as he hath promised thee, and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments to make thee high above all nations, which he hath made, in praise and in name and in honor, and that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. Right? We look at these commandments and all the things that God put down for the Israelites to follow. It wasn't a bunch of hoops to jump through. It wasn't just a bunch of rules that he wanted them to follow. He wanted them to stand out to the rest of the world because of how well he took care of them and how much they loved him in response and how much he took care of them in response, right? Back and forth. He wanted them to stand out. He said, I'm going to set you apart from the rest of the world. That's the God that Joseph understood, right? He understood the God that Jacob began to understand when Joseph was a boy. He saw dad, maybe, maybe he saw dad before he wrestled with God and understood dad's different now. Either way, whether he saw the before and after or he just saw the after, 
he saw a dad who understood God is not just the God of my fathers. He's my God. He's my Savior. He's the one that sets me apart from all of the world. He's the one that, that blesses me and takes care of me. And, and we see in Genesis 37, back into the passage where we first saw Joseph, we saw that his brothers hated him for his visions. They hated him. In verse 9, it picks up and it says, And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a, a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made, made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Right? Dad's saying, look, that's, that, you know, you're my favorite son, but we don't play, we don't play that game. I'm the boss, right? Verse 11, he says, and, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. You know what his father knew? His father knew when God was speaking, right? And there's, there's just a chance that this second dream might be more than, than Joseph just, you know, having bad pizza before going to bed, right, or, or whatever, right? He, he had another dream. It was the same message, a little bit different, but it was the same message. You guys are all going to be bowing down to me someday. That was the message of the dream. Hebrews 6, verses 16 and 18 says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the unchangeability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, unchangeable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie. Two unchangeable things, God's word, God's message twice, right? God's confirming his message to Joseph. This thing's gonna happen. Later on in the, in the story of Joseph, we see in Genesis chapter 41, uh, Pharaoh has a couple of dreams, right? In verse 32 of Genesis 41, it says, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass, right? So Jacob understood some principles about dreams. Jacob understood some principles about God speaking to him. He, he had just finally started listening to God after all this time in his life. Jacob took notice that these weren't just dreams. Joseph knows the Lord personally. Right? He wasn't just having dreams, he was communicating with God. God was talking specifically to Joseph. God was revealing truth to Joseph. It wasn't just his father's God. And if, if we're going to walk with God, and we're going to have integrity in the midst of difficult circumstances, and life is full of that stuff, right? right? Life is just not easy. We just talked about poor Connor and what he's going through. An outstanding, incredible young man. And life is not fair. But if we're going to respond with integrity like Joseph did, like Connor has, if we're going to respond that way in our lives, man, we have to know God personally. He has to be my God. He has to be your God. It's got to be a personal 
intimate connection, if you don't know him that way, man, please come talk to me afterwards. That's what he wants. He wants to set you apart like he did Israel. He wants to bless you, not a, a, a prosperity gospel. He wants to take care of you. He wants to be in charge of your life so that your decisions make sense. Your decisions glorify him. The reason Jacob stuck this thing in a safe place in the back of his mind was, while it was a little off-putting, when God repeats himself, God means it. Right? And God was repeating this message. Jacob understood that something bigger than his favorite son was assuming the leadership role was going on. Right? The entire family was all up in arms, but, but Dad was like, hmm, there's probably more to this. This is probably something. Joseph didn't just have a connection with the God of his father. He, he had his own relationship with God. Somewhere along the line, we have to decide, you have to decide, as adults, is this Christianity thing for real? Is this just something my mom and dad did? Or is this the real deal? Is this just a book of stories? Or does this God exist? He is more real to me than ever before. Right? I, I've said this before. I can't look over my shoulder and, and not see time after time after time of his faithfulness. Can you see that? Maybe you've just started walking with him and it'll take some time. <clears throat> There's no, no more just doing what you're told. Right? We're adults now. You're responsible to listen to the Lord. He's calling you accountable now for your decisions. He's calling you accountable for the words that he says. And he wants to know if you're listening. Joseph was not a man of character simply because his dad was walking with the Lord the right way. Joseph was a man of character because he was walking with the Lord the right way. It does not matter what kind of past you have. It does not matter what your dad was like. Joseph had the benefit of seeing God impact his dad. Joseph had the benefit of seeing his dad respond to the Lord the right way. To be a man or woman of high character and, and high integrity, you don't, you don't need to have the perfect example because God is the perfect father. Right? And, and he knows your past. He knows what was there. Maybe, maybe you're like me and you don't even know your dad. Maybe you do know your dad and, and you would have been better off if you didn't. Maybe your dad's awesome. Any scenario doesn't really matter because what makes you a man or woman of integrity is do you walk with God? Right? When, it, when it gets tough, do you turn to his word? Or do you run from your problems like Jacob used to? This is, this is the topic of the study. And we're going to see Joseph's life turn downhill really rapidly in the next couple of weeks. And it's not fair. It's never fair. But God has a plan. And he's more patient than us. And he can see further than us. And he wants to know if you believe him. And he wants to know if you can trust, if you will trust him. You definitely can trust him. But he wants to know if you will. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you again for, for this group. Thank you that we get to dive into your book and, and see these awesome stories. And it's not just a story. 
This is history of a man who walked with you. And he did it the right way. And, and circumstances were wrong all the time. But he kept doing it the right way. And, and Lord, we want to be people like that. We want to walk with you. We want the world to look at us and say, I wouldn't have done that, but man, they've got something figured out. They've got peace. They understand something I don't understand. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to, to see you the way Joseph saw you as our own personal God, our Savior, our Father, the perfect Father. Lord, we're so thankful for you sending your Son to die for us. We're so thankful for you preserving your word so we would understand who you are and how much you care. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to just walk in a way that glorifies you, walk in a way that gets other people's attention uh, so that we can turn them to you. Lord, we love you so much. We're, we're thankful again to be here. I want to keep praying for the, the group that is away at camp, uh, that they just have the energy to keep up with the kids and to keep focused and to just do an awesome job of investing in those kids' lives. And uh, we want to keep praying that uh, you would soften all their hearts and that uh, you'd be with Tony as he's delivering your word. And uh, we're just trusting that you're going to move in a mighty way this week. And uh, we also want to continue praying for Connor and, and the whole Bartlett family to just... Just pray that you would uh, work a miracle there. We know that it, it looks as though we're in the position to where all hope is only on you, and, and we know that you excel in that role. We know that you're the great physician, and uh, we're just asking you to come in and work a miracle, Lord. Uh, pray for peace for the family and comfort and um, just uh, the ability to endure and, and suffer as long as it takes, Lord. We love you so much. We, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.